Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you here this morning, and it is good to be back with you today. I am grateful that I have someone that I can call at the last minute. His name's Ted Williams. If you're going to call somebody to pinch hit for you at the last minute, somebody named Ted Williams is not a bad one to call. And he kind of got the baton passed to him sort of at the very last moment this last week as uh, I kind of got hit with... If you've been battling the flu bug or a virus or bronchitis, any of those kind of things, trust me, I completely understand that. Those, those, those things can come on you and they can pack a real punch. And, and uh, they hit me pretty hard this last week, but I'm grateful for Ted for filling in for me. And I'm, but I'm also grateful to be back with you this morning and to, 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 to be with you, to be able to worship with you today. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, would you please take them and turn with me to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 1. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 1. Today we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark that we've begun here at Ivy Creek. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago and sort of kind of help reset where we were. You'll recall if you were with us a couple of weeks back that we read that Jesus had went into the region of Galilee and he had gone there uh, preaching a message of repentance and faith. And Mark tells us that he went down to the actual Sea of Galilee where he encountered some folks who were fishing and, and doing various things on their boats. And, and he called his first four disciples to him. He called Simon Peter, called Andrew his brother, James and his brother John. And immediately Mark says that they left their jobs, they left their nets, they left their boats, they left their family, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus made them become, as in his own words, fishers of men. And so what that passage taught us is that Jesus came at a very radical moment in time and he came preaching a very radical message of faith and repentance that resulted in a radical call, a radical call to discipleship. And, and that radical call to discipleship was responded to by these four fishermen with radical obedience. And what we concluded as we worked our way through that passage was, is what was true in the first century world is still true today. And that is that Jesus' message of faith and repentance and his call to discipleship is just as valid now as it was then. You and I are still confronted with the message to repent and to believe and to live a life of obedience by following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having reminded us then of where we went and where we finished up there in verse 20, what I want us to do is pick up in verse 21 of this week because beginning here, we find that Mark goes on to describe a day in the life of the ministry of Jesus. And in fact, going all the way down through verse 38, verse 39, you'll find that there was a, there's a 24-hour period there, really, that Mark describes for us. If you've ever watched that show, TV show 24 on TV. If you've ever seen that show, you know how much action that they can try to pack into what is supposed to be a 24-hour period. Well, what I want you to know is that they, those actors have nothing on Jesus. Because Mark tells us that Jesus in this 24-hour period 
was preaching and teaching, that he was delivering people of demon possession, that he was healing those who were sick. They were bringing all kinds of crowds to him to do all of these things. And he was, he was taking his time with them in order to be able to heal them of their diseases. And he was, he was working constantly. And, and then he stole away some time to go and just spend some time alone with his father in prayer. The whole way we find him, he is confronting people with their sin and with the reality of the arrival of the kingdom of God. Now, for the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to deal with all of those issues all the way down. I just want us to focus on verses 21 through 28 today. Really, the first, the first scene that is described for us in this 24-hour period is the scene that takes place in the city of Capernaum, in the synagogue, on the Sabbath day. And so with that as an introduction, let's begin reading there in verse 21 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Because there we find this. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come here to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for its truth. Thank you for what it teaches us. Thank you for what it reveals about us. What it points us to with regard to how we are to respond to what's revealed in it. And that is what I pray this morning. I pray that we would respond accordingly to the truth of your revealed word this morning. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Mark begins by telling us about a 24-hour period of the ministry of Jesus. And he tells us that Jesus came into this city named Capernaum. Now, it's worth noting that Capernaum was a bustling city. It was an important city that was located on the northwest corner, really, the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. The city was of a decent size. We, we believe that historians tell us that there was a, a tax uh, collection area there. Uh, a tax office located there in Capernaum. We also know that, that because there was a, a Roman centurion soldier that lived at Capernaum, we believe that that, that tells us that there was a, a Roman military post of some kind located in that city. As we'll learn next week, the Lord willing, we'll learn that, that Capernaum was where Simon Peter lived um, in that same area. And we'll ultimately know, if we studied in the New Testament, that Jesus, when he left Nazareth, his hometown, Capernaum became sort of his adopted hometown. It became the ministry area from whence he went out and, and conducted a lot of his ministry there in the Galilean region. 
Mark's narrative also tells us that there was a synagogue in Capernaum. Synagogues were sort of the religious outposts for the temple. They were located all throughout Palestine and in various regions. They were houses of worship where Jews who did not live in Jerusalem could gather together every Sabbath day and they could worship together. It was where much of their Jewish life centered around those synagogues. The services that were held in those synagogues were in some ways similar to the services that we hold here at church. There were, there were songs that were sung. Mostly they would sing out of, the, out of the Psalms, but they would sing psalms. They would offer prayers, much as we do. They would also read the scriptures. They would, they would take the Old Testament and they would read from those Old Testament scriptures. And then they would have someone who would, who would stand and teach and, and instruct and preach as a result of that. So in many, a lot of the same elements would be found in, in, the, in the services in the synagogue that we find in our services. And it was into such a synagogue service that Jesus went on this Sabbath day that we read about here in Mark 1. And what we know is, is that by this point, Jesus' popularity had grown significantly. Now remember, Mark doesn't tell us everything that happened every day of Jesus' life. That's, this is not a biography, it's a gospel. So he's telling us a story, but there's a lot of times that we need to fill in some of the blanks based upon what we know from other parts of Scripture. And when we do, we come to the realization that, that, that Jesus' preaching and his teaching ministry had really started to gather some respect among the people and among the religious leaders. In fact, based upon what we know of reading the other Gospels, Jesus' fame had begun to spread throughout this region. And so much so, in fact, that on this particular Sabbath day, when Jesus went into that synagogue in the city of Capernaum, he was invited to teach the congregation that had gathered there for worship. Such an invitation was not extended to just anybody. And what it tells us is that the people and the religious leaders in Capernaum, they recognized that there was something special about Jesus. They really didn't know exactly what yet, but they knew that there was something special about this man. So Mark tells us that Jesus went into the synagogue on this Sabbath day and he began teaching. And we read in verse 22 that the people who had gathered there that day were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. Now, in order to help us kind of get our minds around the heart of what this text is teaching us, I provided you with a simple outline. Some of you, you're looking at it and you're saying, I think this looks familiar. Well, it does because it was in your bulletin last week. We didn't get to it. If you were trying to think of Ted, we didn't know what points he was making. He did. You just didn't know what points he was making. So this outline that I provided for you, though, is, is, is something simple. What I'm hoping is, is that we can sort of hang our thoughts on it as we go through, and it works our way into the main point that I believe this text teaches us. And so the first point that I want you to see this morning is this. The authority of Jesus' teaching produced astonishment among the people. Very simple way of understanding what this first part tells us. The authority of Jesus' teaching produced astonishment among the people. Now the word astonished there in verse 22, there, there's about six different Greek words that can be translated astonished into the English language. The one that we find in verse 22 is the strongest of those words. It really means to be, to be struck with such a strong feeling that one is overpowered by it. It means to be thunderstruck. It means to be blown away. It means to be overwhelmed. William Lane notes in his commentary on this passage that such a response by the people really conveys a sense of real alarm. 
In other words, these folks were disturbed when Jesus got up and taught. It, his teaching disturbed them because of the authority with which he spoke. And, and the question that kind of comes to our mind is why? Why were they so disturbed? What was it that triggered such significant alarm? Well, notice that the reasoning Mark provides is that he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, what this congregation was, was used to, what they were accustomed to, was to these folks who would come in and they would typically, the scribes would, would quote the rabbis. And the rabbis were the, were, the, were the supposed authorities over the Old Testament. They were the ones who could take the Old Testament and, and interpret it in their own way and put their own spin on things. And, and each rabbi sort of had their own little cult following, if you will. And that cult following of scribes would often debate one another back and forth upon the intricacies of the scriptures. And oftentimes what would take place in the synagogue would be that you would have a, a, a moment where you would have these guys debating each other back and forth over issues that were of little and relative unimportance in the life of the Jews. That's not what happened when Jesus stepped up that day. When Jesus came to the synagogue that day, his teaching was completely different. He taught as one having authority. If, if you'll recall, it was the same as what happened at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We studied that here a couple of years back. And, and you'll recall one of the repeated refrains that constantly comes up in the Sermon on the Mount was that Jesus said, you have heard it said to you, but I say to you. In other words, Jesus said, you've heard all the scribes, you've heard the rabbis who, who've, who've tried to interpret the Old Testament for you and tell you what the law actually means, but I come to you telling you of authority what those scriptures actually mean. And it blew the people away. As a matter of fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, Matthew writes this, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. That's exactly the same way that Mark describes the reaction of the people in the synagogue at, on Capernaum that day. He taught them with authority, not as the scribes did. The word that's translated authority is the Greek word exousia. It really means out of the substance. It means out of one's essence or out of the, who one truly is. And as R.C. Sproul has written, our Lord's teaching was the utterance of the one who was of the same essence as the Father. So when Jesus taught, his authority was rooted and grounded in God himself. Consequently, when he taught, he didn't appeal to some rabbi. He didn't appeal to what somebody else said the scriptures meant. Rather, when he taught, the people sensed an implicit claim to an intrinsic authority that was superior than anything that they had ever seen or heard before. Now, what's interesting to me is that Mark doesn't tell us the subject of Jesus' sermon that day. Mark doesn't, he doesn't go and tell us what Jesus taught about. But we can try to connect the dots and figure it out because based upon what he tells us, if we go back to verse 15, Jesus came into the region of Galilee preaching what? Just simply this, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we have an idea that, this, that the message that Jesus would have preached that day in the synagogue would have been related to that message. And as William Lane has written, Jesus' word presented with a sovereignty, sovereign authority which permitted neither debate nor theoretical, theoretical reflection confronted the congregation with the absolute claim of God upon their whole person. 
You want to know why they were astonished? Because Jesus' teaching basically said to them, God has complete authority over you and can demand and, 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 and have authority over your entire life. Simply put, his authoritative teaching compelled the congregation to decision, and it astonished them. It shook them. It shook them to the very core, and it shocked them. Now, that's the first thing that we noticed that this text tells us that I think we need to make sure we sit on and understand. But listen, if you think that that service was hot already, just wait, it gets hotter. Look at verse 23. Now, there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. He was demon-possessed. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I've heard of services being interrupted by someone who began shouting at the, the preacher. Well, thankfully, I have never been in one of those services myself. And I hope and pray that when I leave here today, I can still say I have never been in one of those services. I did have something happen that was interesting in a service that I was officiating one time. It was in another state and another time and another place. It was a Wednesday night Bible study, actually. And I had just gotten up to lead that Wednesday night Bible study, which was a very relaxed setting. We did have a little bit of music to begin with, but the door opened and a lady and her husband walked straight down that center aisle. And it was obvious to me that she wanted to speak to me. We had just a little bit of an opportunity there to allow that to happen. And, and I went down front and I took her hand and I said, what are you here for? And she alerted me to the fact that, that she was Mary Magdalene from the Bible. and That she had come with a message of prophecy for my church. Now, I don't know, I don't know what she was struggling with. I don't know if it was, I don't know if she was being... She had mental issues. I, I don't know what her issue was. I simply made sure that she knew in no uncertain terms that she was not going to address the congregation that was there that day and that she was to sit and be quiet. And that did not sit well with her, and so she immediately in a huff turned around and walked and stormed out the door. So I never really got to find out what the scenario was. Here's something that I can tell you, though. There was a tenseness in that meeting that night that was palpable. I mean, you could almost feel it. Everybody was tense and on edge, as you can imagine. I want you to know the tenseness that happened in that Wednesday night service, I don't think could have compared to the tenseness that was taking place in the synagogue on the day that Jesus was there and suddenly is confronted by a demon-possessed man. I believe that you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody in that room was staring. What was going to happen? What was going to take place next? Suddenly this man begins bawling and begins crying out. Many have noted what a sad spiritual commentary this is on Capernaum. I mean, here you have a demon-possessed man worshiping in a synagogue and nobody seemed to notice. You have others, though, like John MacArthur, who note that it's really not that uncommon to have such a thing happen. He says that since Satan is an angel of light and since all his ministers are disguised as angels of light that it would seem obvious that they would want to hide in religion. And so he says it probably happens more often than we might even think. 
Mark doesn't give us any further information about the man. We don't know how often he was at that service, if it was something special that took place. We don't know if he had some kind of, of, of a role in the service. What we know is that this man was possessed by a demon. He was in the synagogue that day, and when Jesus began teaching and he began heralding the truth, the demon screamed out and confronted Jesus. In fact, the word that Mark uses there is a word that is used for a cry of utter terror. From the man's reaction to Jesus, really from the demon's reaction to Jesus, we recognize that that demon sensed a very real and immediate threat to his existence. And that leads me to the second simple point that I want you to see this morning. The second point that I want you to note that this text brings out for us is that Jesus' authority produced terror among the demons. His authority produced terror among the demons. And just like we did with the astonishment of the people, we need to ask why. Why were the demons so terrified of Jesus? Well, as we already noted, Jesus, the Son of God, He came with the authority of God, and when He did, He came preaching the truth. And since we know that Satan is demonic, and his demonic hosts are disguised as, as angels of light, even though they have been consigned to the powers of darkness, Listen, when the Son of Man comes and the Son of God comes to earth preaching and teaching the pure and radiant truth, those demonic powers, such as the one possessing this man, shrieking in terror, they knew that they had met the one whose power was unequaled. They knew that they had met one whose authority was supreme. And as a result, what we read is that this demonic power confronts Jesus and says, Leave us alone! He's obviously talking about him and others, perhaps not more with inside the man, but other demons that were, were in the area. He says, leave us alone, basically saying, you have no business with us yet. And then he asked two questions. He says, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? Which tells us that the demon recognized one of Jesus' primary purposes for why he came. You remember last, last year we went through and studied through the epistles of John. And there was a verse there in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 that tells us why Jesus came. And John writes to us and says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. You want to know one of the reasons why Jesus came? It was to destroy the works of the devil. The writer of Hebrews explains it the same way. He says in Hebrews 2 verse 14 that Jesus came that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So this demon knew very well why Jesus had come. He knew that Jesus came to undo that which Satan had already foisted upon humanity. He knew that that meant that the, that the end of the road had come for him and his fellow demons. As Sinclair Ferguson explains, the coming of the king and the inauguration of his kingdom implied the destruction and end of the kingdom of darkness. And so he knew that because Jesus had shown up, his very existence was going to be called into question. And so finally the demon-possessed man, demon man yells out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I want you to know, I don't find anything humorous about this passage. I don't find one ounce of it to be humorous. But I do find there to be some irony here. You see, I find it ironic that the people of the synagogue who were astonished by Jesus' teaching, 
And as we'll see in a moment, they began to question among themselves as to who he might be. All the while, this demon is among them. He knew more about our Lord's identity than anyone else in the room did. But do not be mistaken. The demon's recognition of Jesus' authority and his declaration of Jesus being the Holy One is not to be confused with a general confession and a genuine confession of faith. Rather, as many scholars have put it, in the ancient world, the way that one gained authority over the spirit world was to give them a name and to announce their name. And so many scholars believe that this was the demon's attempt to try to gain mastery over Jesus by, giving, by telling everybody his name. Well, if that was his goal, it certainly failed. Because in verse 25, Jesus rebukes him and he says, be quiet and come out of him. Now, we don't let people say this in our home. You probably don't let them say it in your home. But the only way I can really interpret for you the way that you, what Jesus says here is this. He looks at that, that demon and he says, shut up. You shut up, be quiet, and you get out of that man. Now there was no mistaking who was the authority in the room. There was no mistake. Jesus didn't go into some kind of incantation. He didn't put some kind of formulaic message together to perform some exorcism. He simply spoke. And the powers of darkness did exactly what he said to do. And they had no ability to fight against him. And with a shriek of terror, he convulsed the man in whom he had been. And he exits and he leaves. And that is the last that we hear of this demon. But it's not the last that we hear of the people. Because notice down in verse 27 that the people saw everything that took place. They heard the shrieking. They saw the, the man suddenly being thrown to the ground. And then it says they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. That leads me to the third and final point that I want you to see. Very simply, understand this is what this text tells us. Third point, the authority of Jesus over the demonic world produced amazement among the people. They were amazed at what they saw Jesus do. Now the word amazed there in verse 27 is different from the word astonished in verse 22. Nevertheless, it still means to strike or it means to astound. In other words, these people had their socks knocked off two times in five verses. But notice what their astonishment and their amazement drives them to do. It drives them to question, what is this? What new doctrine is this? What that tells us based upon their questions is that they still didn't understand who Jesus was. They still didn't get his authority and his power. The demon had announced it to him. The demon had obeyed him. It had told him and no, no, told them in no uncertain terms that Jesus came to undo what Satan was trying to do. And yet they still could not get their minds around who Jesus was. All of those things have been plainly visible to them. His teaching along with his authority. And yet they couldn't come to grips with who he was. But they were impressed with him. Oh, man, were they impressed with him. Verse 28 makes it clear just how impressed with Jesus they were. So impressed, in fact, that immediately his fame 
spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Who do you think it was that was telling everybody about what took place? You see, the people spilled out of the synagogue into the city of Capernaum, and they began telling everybody about this man and all that he could do and all that he had done. And those people began to tell other people until his fame and his popularity spread throughout everywhere until what we'll find later next week, the Lord willing, is that people were coming from all over the region for Jesus to perform miracles on them. Oh, they were impressed with Jesus. Here's where the story takes a sad, devastating, and even an unexpected turn. You see, what we might have expected for Mark to tell us is that Jesus' fame and his authority and his power would have led people to bowing their hearts before him in worship. That it would have led them to display repentance and faith just as Jesus had preached and called for. I mean, after all, his words and his actions were unlike anything that they had ever seen or heard. Rather, what we read is that his teaching and the miracle that he had performed before them led them to wonder at him, to marvel at him, but not to repent, not to believe. In fact, it's as if they didn't even hear what the evil spirit had proclaimed about him being the Holy One of God. Despite what they had seen, despite what they had heard, these folks in Capernaum remained blind to the true divine source of Jesus' power. And listen, the tragedy was that they saw Jesus do such mighty works and yet they remained spiritually unchanged. It was that lack of change and it was their continual spiritual blindness that wound up being the basis for the judgment that was passed upon them by Jesus himself. You see, in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel, beginning in verse 20, Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which he had done the most of his mighty works. And he gets to verse 21 and he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, that's one city. Woe to you, Bethsaida, that's another city. And then in verse 23, he says, Woe to you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would remain till this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. You see, in effect, what Jesus says to the people of Capernaum is that to remain unrepentant and unchanged in the face of having witnessed his authority and his power is worse than the immorality of Sodom. A city which, if it had experienced the authoritative teaching and the miraculous displays that Capernaum had experienced, would have turned from its sin and would have been spared. What that means, friend, is that being impressed with Jesus but remaining indifferent to him is a grave danger of which we must be warned. Let me state that again. To be impressed with Jesus but to remain indifferent to him is a grave danger about which all of us must be warned. Having examined that in this passage then, it leads me to state to you my sermon in a sentence. Because what should have happened in Capernaum didn't. 
What did happen in Capernaum is a tragedy. And it leads me to state this to you. My sermon in sentence this morning is this. Being astonished and amazed by the supreme authority of Jesus, yet remaining unrepentant and unchanged, is a tragic response that ultimately leads to his judgment, despite his offer of grace. Here's what makes that warning even more important for you and me. You see, looking back on things, you and I have a tremendous advantage even over that crowd who was in, in the synagogue that day. You want to know why? Because we have the completed canon of Scripture. We know how the story ends. We know what those folks in Capernaum had yet to find out, and that is that Jesus Christ overcame sin, death, and hell by dying on the cross for our sins and rising again on the third day. Therefore, in light of that message and in light of that information that we now have, do you see of how much even greater importance it is for us not to remain indifferent to the offer of grace that Jesus offers us? Friend, it is not enough to be impressed by Jesus. It's not enough to be in awe of His teaching and of the example that He set for us. It is not enough to simply think of Him as a wonderful man who performed wonderful deeds. Rather, the Scriptures proclaim Him to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords who came and gave His life in exchange for your sin. And He came to deal a death blow to Satan and to all the forces of evil and even to death itself. And because He has done that, He commands all men, women, boys, and girls everywhere to repent of their sins and believe in the gospel. And friend, anything that stops short of that stops short of true saving faith. So as we come to a passage like this this morning that confronts us with the miraculous nature and the inbreaking power of God through this Savior Jesus Christ, we must not walk away thinking, man, what a guy he was. Instead, it must come to grip us that we, he is one with whom we must reckon because the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him to be Jesus Christ as Lord. My prayer this morning is that you will not close your eyes to Christ, that you will not be amazed and impressed by him but remain indifferent to him. Rather, my prayer is that you will humble yourself before him in faith and repentance because, brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together.